You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Welcome to Easter at the Tribe. We're so glad that you could be here in person at the Cameo, as well as those of you that are worshiping online. If you're a newcomer here, uh, there's a little card that you can fill out, a connection card that will get you a little gift bag from City Tribe to you today. So if you're new, make sure and fill this out and hand that in so you can get your little gift bag of awesome, cool, free stuff. And as you came in today to the theater, perhaps you got a little note card. Could I see your little note cards that you got? And we're going to do a little exercise with that. What I want to ask you to consider doing with that note card is throughout the time, just think through. And I'd like you to write down on the note card up to three things that you would do if you found out you were going to die one year from today. Think about it. If you were going to die one year from today, what are up to three things that you would want to do? And you may not know what you want to do, and you may need to think about it, and I don't blame you for thinking about it. Take your time. You're thinking about other stuff this afternoon anyway, so you may as well put it to good use and think about what you would do if you could uh, only live for a year. And now uh, I'm going to do a little brief survey before you write anything on your cards, and the survey is going to be three questions. And as you raise your hands according to your answer to the survey, okay? And the first question is going to be kind of a tough question to answer and may bring up some level of emotion in you, but how many of you over the past three years have lost someone that you know to death? You know someone that's passed away, someone has died. Raise your hands real quick. Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us here, right? You can put your hands down. And then question number two is in the past three years, how many of you have gone through any hard times at all? Any hard times over the past three years? You know, a bunch of us, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, question number three is going to seem unrelated to the first two, but I'll connect it here in just a minute. Question number three is, how many of you have heard of a musical composition known as Handel's Messiah. Anybody know about Handel's Messiah? You've ever heard of it, okay? Now, not very many of you are raising your hands on that one, and that's been the same throughout all the services. What you don't know is, is that you may know a little bit more about Handel's Messiah than what you think, because there's one song featured in Handel's Messiah music composition known as the Hallelujah Chorus that is featured on a lot of movie soundtracks, okay? And so have you ever heard that song that goes, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You know, it's like that. That's the worst version of it you've ever heard in your life. But now, let me ask the question again. How many of you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, okay? Yeah, a lot more of you, right? Because the hallelujah chorus is a part of it, right? And I threw in the jalapeno part. That's, you know, this just kind of felt like it needed a little spice in there. Um, but here's the thing about Handel, is that in his musical composition, most places play it. Like you go to Sydney, Australia today, I see it in the big Sydney Opera House. They would play Handel's Messiah. It would be a packed house, and they typically do it around Christmas time. And I don't know why they do Handel's Messiah at Christmas time, because there's a lot of Easter in Handel's Messiah. And Handel has his soloist sing the words of an Old Testament Bible character who's never mentioned during Easter time. And I've never quoted this Bible character on Easter time because not very many people think of this Bible character as associated with 
Easter time. And so in order to get this, we're going to read it together. I want to ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. And we're going to read from this Bible character who knows a thing or two about losing people to death and suffering. And his name is Job. Job 19.25. But as for me, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. And after the soloist sings these words, the soloist goes on to another passage from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given, say those last two words with me out loud, new life. New life. Have you experienced new life? And if you don't relate to Handel and you don't know much about the Bible, maybe you've heard of a country singer named Tim McGraw who... uh, McGraw, who sang that song, Live Like You're Dying. And that's what we want to drill down on today. So before you sit down, will you turn to your neighbor and tell him, live like you were dying, and then take a seat. Okay, now you can sit like you're dying, if you don't mind, and uh, take a load off there for just a minute. And one of the things that you'll see about Jesus is that everywhere Jesus goes, life springs forth. He is the creator of life. He is himself life. And so if you go back to the early parts of the Bible in Genesis and the creation, Jesus walks through and like plants come up and flowers bloom. Life happens. The animals are created. And then the pinnacle of all creation is the creation of the humans, right? And then right now, Our solar system is held together. Our planet stays on its axis because of Jesus. We continue to have air to breathe because Jesus is the sustainer of life. And Jesus told us when he walked the earth, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And so when he uh, walks by, when he is present in your life, life springs forth. It's a group of people who live like they're dying, a group of people who live with no regrets in this life, a group of people who have written on their little cards, you know, the things that they would do and do those things in order to live a life of no regret. And when I think of a pastor and an author who knows a thing or two about living like he's dying, it's a guy named Erwin McManus. And he, a few years ago, wrote this book called The Last Arrow. And the kind of the story behind the book is that he had started on this book and he wrote some lines and he started this book, Last Arrow. But then he set the book down and he lived for a while. And after he had kind of started this book, he went to get an insurance policy. And this particular insurance policy required a doctor's visit be examined. And he got examined and found out he had cancer. And that was kind of a bummer. And he went back to the book that he had started years earlier. And he read the first lines, which were kind of prophetic. And here's what the first lines said. So let me tell you before you hear it from someone else. I'm dying. But so are you. He had written these things before the cancer diagnosis. And he had to work through all the emotions in his mind and in his heart about how he would feel about potentially this being his last book and potentially that he could 
His life could end much, much sooner than what he had anticipated. He thought, am I angry at God? Am I afraid to die? And he realized, you know, I'm not really angry at God. I'm not afraid to die. You know, God's given me a great life. I mean, he, he's lived a great adventure. And he said, you know why I wasn't afraid to die? Is because years prior, I used to minister in the ghetto. And every day I feared for my life because, you know, gangs are around, all this stuff. And he thought he was going to get shot, thought he could die at any moment. And he asked God, God, give me a verse or something to encourage me so I'm not afraid to die. And the only verse that came to his mind was that verse where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Erwin realized the reason he wasn't afraid to die is because he had already given himself over to death. See, when you receive Jesus and walk with him, you choose to die to yourself so that he might live in and through you. And here's one of the things that Erwin wrote in that book that I thought was a great quote. He said, the only proof of life after death is life before death. And I want to ask you today, are you experiencing this type of life? Because maybe you know someone, maybe you are someone who's going through the motions of life. Have you ever known that person? It's like a person that gets up in the morning, they drink their coffee, they get in their car, they go on the commute and stay on the highway for an hour to go to work and sit in their cubicle and fill out the TPS reports, you know, and after they fill out all their TPS reports and work for the day, they get back in their car and go on an hour long commute to get home and they eat their dinner and watch Netflix and drink a glass of wine and go to bed and get up the next morning and go through the whole routine over and over and over again, like a hamster on a wheel. Have you ever known someone like that? It's not life. A lot of people are going through this life like those zombies on that show, The Walking Dead, just kind of going through life, walking around, but not really feeling alive. And what Jesus has for you is resurrection life, life to the full, where you experience the adventure of the abundant life. And certainly Jesus was a guy who lived like he was dying. In fact, he was so filled with life that he would touch people. They would be healed. And when they killed Jesus himself, he couldn't even stay dead. He was so full of life. He came back to life, resurrected. Now, I need to explain what I mean by that for those of you that are new to church. Because some people think, well, you mean, what? here's what you mean, Doug. You're like... You mean he spiritually rose again from the dead or he metaphorically rose from the dead? No, I'm talking about he literally, bodily, historically rose again from the dead. And there are a lot of logical reasons why we believe this. I mean, we could look at the eyewitness accounts and you can go back and listen to other sermons that we've given here and teachings that we've given here where we've broken this down many, many, many times. But today... The reason that we're going to drill down on is the effect that his resurrection had on history, even to today. See, it was a turning point in all of human history because he is a giver of life, a sustainer of life. When Jesus rose again from the dead, it created a life-giving movement on the earth. That is why this very day there are hospitals because Followers of Jesus that have Jesus living in them, the life-giving the, the life -giving presence created hospitals. How many of you were born at Atheist Hospital? Just raise your hand real quick. 
Okay, nobody's raised their hand all weekend. And the reason is, there aren't any. You were born at Methodist or Baptist or Christus Santa Rosa Hospital. And the reason you were born there is because Christ's followers who had his life in them were inspired to create life-giving places that preserve life, that save lives in hospitals. It was Christ followers that established the schools, the universities in this country, like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, were all started by Christ followers who wanted to preserve life. Then the alleviation of poverty, people like Mother Teresa, that is because of Christ followers, the championing of women's rights. By the way, who was the first woman or the first person, rather, I kind of gave it away, who was the first person to see Jesus after he rose again from the dead. It wasn't a crusty old man religious leader, but it was a woman, Mary Magdalene, right? And so I like to joke around here. I mean, does God like men more than women? Of course not, right? But does God like action films better than chick flicks? I believe he does, okay? And that's the old running joke around here. But Christ followers are the one that championed women's rights and racial equality. People like the Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a Christian minister, and his biblical convictions is what led him to work and be a champion for equality. And here's where I want to encourage some of you who are spiritual investigators, because look, and by the way, you're like, am I a spiritual investigator? Well, that means that you've not yet believed, and you, but you're willing to at least consider it. And I want to encourage you for coming to a Christian church today, because I know how that works, right? I mean, you didn't come because you're like a regular, because you believe some of you, but you're like, hey, you know, my, my mom or dad wanted me to come, and so I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with it, you know, I'll do it, I'll sit through it, how bad could it be? And I want to honor you, we would never dishonor you or throw shade on you or talk down to you. I think it takes a lot of courage for you to like show up at a church and a lot of open-mindedness on your part. And I appreciate that. And I know some of you are like, hey, you know, grandma made me come. She grabbed me by the ear or, you know, you're dating a hot chick and you're like, hey, she's hot. And if church is part of the deal, hey, it works out. She looks good in that dress. Okay, we'll take the pictures. Oh, we'll do the whole thing. You know, we'll do the whole deal on Easter. And I applaud you for coming here. And I want to encourage you to consider something. That for you, spiritual investigators, maybe to live like you're dying is a willingness to question your own doubts, to perhaps doubt your own doubts or question your own skepticism of Jesus. And there may be some of you that have encountered the religious establishment that said to you, you're not allowed to question, or perhaps some church hurt you or, some, or something, and you, and you were told you can't question well, here we say, yeah, you should question. And what you need to understand is that not only is there a religious establishment that I understand why you would not want to be a part of that, but there's also what we'll call today an irreligious establishment. And the irreligious establishment doesn't allow you to question either. They will cancel you for questioning them, right? And what I'm finding is I'm meeting a lot of people these days who actually are willing now to question their skepticism. And they're saying, hey, man, the irreligious establishment is leaving my heart wanting. People like Anne Rice, maybe you've seen her book, Interview with a Vampire, and it became popular. A lot of people watched the movie, 
Interview with the Vampire because it starred Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. I think Kirsten Dunst was in it as well. And she kind of paved the way for all the, you know, modern vampire stuff like Twilight and all that. But Anne was, uh, Anne Rice was an author who did historical novels. So she would put something in a period of history. And because she was a historic novelist, she would go back and research that season or that time of history. So she's really, you know, does a lot of hard scholarly work on history. And she was going to write this novel about Jesus. So she decided she was going to go back and read the historical background regarding the historical Jesus. Now, Anne had been an atheist for most of her life, a committed atheist, and she figured when she did her historical background work on Jesus that she would find that he was just a hoax and, you know, kind of fall in line with the uh, some, you know, a handful of scholars who, you know, write about how Jesus was not really uh, who he said he was. And so she wrote this book, and it's called Christ the Lord Out of Egypt. And here's some of the things that she wrote in there about her journey to explore this and do the research. She said, I expected to discover that their arguments, the skeptic's arguments, would be frighteningly strong and that Christianity was at heart a kind of fraud. These skeptical scholars seem so very sure of themselves. Arguments about Jesus himself were full of conjecture. Some books were no more than assumptions piled upon assumptions. Absurd conclusions were reached on the basis of little or no data at all. I discovered in this field some of the worst and most biased scholarship I had ever read. That is bias against Jesus. She went on to write, and I had also sensed something else. Many of these scholars, scholars who apparently devoted their life to New Testament scholarship, disliked Jesus Christ. Some pitied him as a hopeless failure. Others sneered at him and some felt an outright contempt. She said, I read and I read and I read. Sometimes I thought I was walking through the valley of shadow of death as I read, but I went on ready to risk everything. I had to know who Jesus was. And when she did the real work of historical background study, she found that he is who he says that he is. And Anne Rice became a follower of Jesus. So no doubt she had her problems with the religious establishment, but she continued to follow Jesus. And it's a good thing she believed when she did because she died just a couple of years ago in 2021. And because of that, a lot of us would believe that she's now in eternity with Jesus because she believed in Jesus for her eternity. And I respect her because she's a person who had it made in her career, was well-respected and accepted in the irreligious establishment. And she risked all of that to go on an honest journey of thought and research. And she chose to believe in Jesus. This is a woman who lived like she was dying. And die she did. And I believe she's experiencing life better than what we can imagine right now. And, you know, being a pastor, I've been a part of my fair share of funerals, been to a lot of funerals. And I remember this one particular funeral some years ago. It was a woman who was roughly, and she looked to be in her late 50s, early 60s, maybe. And she got a terminal diagnosis. And she only had like maybe a year-ish to live. And so she wrote the stuff on the card, if you know what I mean, kind of like what I've given you today. Except for her, it wasn't just an exercise, but it was like 
her reality. And at Michelle's funeral, Michelle Conley's funeral, she kind of had time to set it up, if you know what I mean. And I was impacted by it because when you go to the funeral, you would hear these notes of encouragement that were read that were Michelle's words. And she wrote a note of encouragement that was read at her funeral to her husband, a note of encouragement to her brothers and sisters and her children. She even wrote notes of encouragement that were read to her grandchildren, including her granddaughter that she never got to meet because that granddaughter was inside of her daughter, you know, at the time when Michelle passed away. So the thing that got me about that funeral the most was at the beginning of the ceremony where they showed this video, right? And they showed this video of like uh, pictures of Michelle doing all the stuff that she wanted to do, the, the stuff that was on her card. And uh, it was fun stuff, you know, like it showed a video of Michelle skydiving. And then it showed pictures of her doing other fun things. And it also showed this picture of her sitting in church with her whole family filling up a row. Because Michelle had become, she, she had been a skeptic. She had been, you know, very irreligious. And she had come to faith in Jesus. And she made her whole family come with her uh, as she was trying the best she knew how to follow Jesus before she passed away. Um, and guess what song all these pictures were put to? Yeah, it was Live Like You're Dying, that country music song by Tim McGraw. Now, I got to confess I don't really know anything about country music, man. I mean, it's like, it all sounds the same to me. It's like, my tractor won't run and someone ran over my dog, right? I mean, that's country music in a nutshell to me. I don't, I don't get it. But since I don't know anything about country music, I had to like research this song, you know, because it made such an impact on me. And I found out the backstory on the song was, uh, you know, Tim McGraw was the artist and his dad's name is Tug McGraw, okay? A name like Tug, I mean, that's got to be a country guy, right? I mean, don't name your kid Tug, okay? I'm just telling you that right now, but um, that's a, what a country name, Tug. Well, Tug McGraw, Tim McGraw's dad had received, he had like a tumor, and it was cancer, and they gave him three weeks to live, but he lived for nine months, and during that time, Tim McGraw was motivated to write this song, and here's what he wrote. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. I went three times that year. I lost my dad. I know a lot of people here who, if you could go fishing with your dad again, you would. Well, I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look. And what I'd do if I could do it all again and then. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. And man, I'm so glad that Tim McGraw got to do all the fun things he wanted to do, you know, like going skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu because Jesus is like fun and he gives us abundant life. That's why we've got like a mechanical bull outside for after church today. If you want to go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, we named the mechanical bull Fu Manchu today. And if you want to do it, man, go for it. Have a good time because Jesus is all about us enjoying our lives, you know? 
but I'm more glad that Tim McGraw got to pay attention to those things that are related to eternity. Things like reading the good book and taking a good, long, hard look, like loving deeper, speaking sweeter, giving forgiveness that he had been denied. That was how Tim McGraw lived, like he's dying. And here's what I want to encourage you in, is that today, one way that you can live like you're dying for some of you is to do, take the first step, and that is make sure that you know that you know that you know that you know Jesus. We put it on our wall because it's like the first step in having life is to know that you know Jesus. And in case you don't know how to know Jesus, you start a relationship and when you choose to believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and welcome him to your life. And I understand for some of you, you're not ready to do that, but I would strongly urge you to like make seeking Jesus a front burner issue in your life, not a back burner issue. Make it a priority because all of eternity is at stake. The stakes are high. But some of you are feeling drawn to God through Jesus right now in a way that you can't even describe. I don't even know how he does it. And today is your day. And I want to guide you toward that if you would like that right now today. And I'm going to guide us in a prayer. And there's no magic prayer to come to know Jesus. But if you mean these words in your heart, they can be true. And so I want to ask everybody to keep your eyes open during the prayer because there's no place in the Bible that says that you have to keep your eyes closed during a prayer. And so let's keep our eyes open during this one. And I want everyone to say it out loud with me and repeat it after me um, so that it encourages those who are praying it for the first time. So can we do that? Here we go. Ready? Just say, God, I know I've sinned. But I choose to believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. He rose again to give me new life. Thank you for coming into my life. I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right on. So thank the Lord for those who just prayed that. And now we're going to have some baptisms. And so I want to ask those of you that have been signed up for baptisms, would you guys stand up, please? Anybody uh, who signed up for baptisms back there in the back and everybody who signed up for baptisms, I want you to stand up and walk down here to my right, your left, and you're going to line up here by the steps. And as they're making their way here, uh, down to the front, I want to encourage you guys in this. Maybe for someone today to live like you're dying means to be baptized and make that choice. And here's what it's like. It's kind of like this. When I leave the house, I wear my wedding ring, right? In fact, I wear it all the time. You know why? Because uh, if I leave the house without my wedding ring, how do you think my lady, Miss Jeannie, is going to feel? Because she doesn't play that. I'll just tell you that right now. She doesn't play that. And so I go... And I wear the ring because I want everybody to know who I belong to. I love her. And I, I really want to encourage all of you who are lined up here for baptism because you guys are bold enough to say, I belong to Jesus. And look, like I said, someone's going to live like you're dying today and you're going to get up in the middle of the service and say, I want to get baptized. And you can get up right now and do it if you'd like to. You can go out to the lobby, uh, right outside the lobby. Out there, there's a, there's a table right on the sidewalk. You want to get baptized today. And I was inspired by a cowboy that was here earlier today at the last service. His name is Cruz, and I brought a picture of Cruz's baptism. 
And this is the guy that uh, he, even though we provide clothes, like if you want to wear a pair of shorts or a t-shirt, we provide it. But Cruz is like, no, I'm a cowboy, man. I'm getting baptized in my boots. He got baptized in like his, his expensive cowboy boots and pressed Wrangler jeans, right on? Because that's a guy that's going to live like he's dying. Check it out. Last service, I saw a guy like get baptized in an expensive pair of like Nike sneakers like Jordans, right on? I've seen people baptized in nice clothes. I saw one lady get baptized with her emotional support dog Chihuahua, right on? Um, it's because, hey, some of you are like, it's time. And so whether you use our clothes or come up in your, your press wranglers and boots, I just want you today to live like you're done. Don't walk out of here with regret saying, well, I could have, I could have, would have, should have. Come on, man. Be a person of life. Go out there and get registered. We'll get you baptized. Now, if you're new here, you got to understand this is that um, when people get baptized, they go under and then they come up out of the water. It's like it's totally appropriate to cheer for them and yell for them and get rowdy for them because their people by their actions are giving glory to God because now the giver of life lives within them. So as we sing and worship, let's enjoy this beautiful picture of baptism.
Stand with us and let's just sing the chorus of that song before we take off together. You call my name and I ran out of that grave. God has been so good to us today. I've seen a couple of dads crying today as their kids are getting baptized, and that's a good day of baptisms at the tribe. Just two reminders before we take off. Uh, one is not for those of you that are new or guests with us, but those of us that follow Jesus, we not only live like we're dying, but we give like we're dying too, and we want to be generous to things that, that show up. Uh, uh, his kingdom, like serving the poor, like seeing more and more of these baptisms. And so I thank you guys. There are four ways to get that done that we'll leave on screen. And then the last thing is I brought a benediction for you, and I love you guys so much, I wanted to write a benediction poem for you today. So here it goes. I'm here to speak what hits me deep. I know that my Redeemer lives. That gives me hope. It keeps me off the rope, and I ain't going back to the dope, even when it feels like everything's gone. You know what I'm on? Jesus presence. That's what I'm on. He's the, his presence. That's the essence of life. Holy Spirit is our guarantee. New creations. We're people that are free. So live like you're dying. Don't quit. You're trying. Life's too short. You got to make it count. New life in Christ. That's really what it's all about. So I'm going to keep pushing, keep moving on before I sing my swan song. His presence, it's the ultimate prize. This ain't lies. Let's drop the excuses, whining and crying. New life. Live like you're dying. You guys have an amazing Easter. We'll see you guys next week. Bye now. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.